Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 107 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal. Primer, so Angelo, it's been quite the week. I, you and I can both admit that it's been quite the week, right? Yeah, it's always quite the week. A week of the personal discovery, a week of professional discovery, a week of, of surprises and updates. And uh, with that in mind, last week we covered um, kind of like the app sphere, I guess would be the best way of putting it, the podcast sphere, right? We talked about Luminary for a while. We were pretty heavy on the podcast talk last week, but every once in a while it's good to discuss the actual medium we're communicating with because it's technology and we like doing it and we have an interest in it. And it's actually, I think, one of the more interesting mediums out there right now because it's the newest, I would say. I would definitely agree with that. And it's one of those things where you can kind of, it's kind of like a fishbowl, like you can kind of watch what's going on. We've always said it's pretty democratic with how easily everybody could get out there and put up their own podcast. It's not too complicated to do. And people seem to do a good job with them. I agree with that. So uh, kind of like two different prongs or three technically. Um, the first is I kind of want to say if anyone is interested in learning how to uh, you know create and make a podcast, they can always hit us up at double uh, underscore density on Twitter, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to kind of give some advice, even though... Uh, it's not like our podcast is super successful, but both of us have a background in audio creation of some kind. And I think our podcast sounds pretty good. I uh, do think so, too. So that is uh, prong number one. Prong number two is, would anyone have any interest in us uh, creating maybe like a bonus episode about how to create a podcast? That'd be kind of interesting, too, if anyone has any interest in that. Once again, double underscore density on Twitter and uh, double density podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if, you, uh, if we see that there's some interest, we might create that. We've been sort of like debating that for a while, right? I think it's been like two years we've been talking about doing something like that. We put up an article a couple of years ago. So for now, you can take a look at the article we have somewhere on our site. Somewhere there. I could. I guess I could put a link in the show notes for you. Oh, is that how the internet works? Interesting. Yeah. Unless you're using Luminary, then our links won't work. Apparently. Well, so as of yesterday, Luminary will allow you to have uh, links in your show notes. Welcome to podcasting, Luminary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they've admitted their uh, continual wrongness over the last couple of weeks. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that a little bit too late on that one. But um, so we and the third prong I kind of want to mention, the whole reason I brought this up is because um, Apple recently uh, sent out an email about uh, updates to the podcast app to podcasters. And the most interesting thing, I think, is that you can now listen uh, to podcasts via a web interface on the Apple podcast website. I haven't tried the web interface. I, I don't like web interfaces that much. Overcast actually has one as well. It's fine, but I'm I'm more of an uh, of a listen to a podcast on an app type of person type of thing. Have you ever really listened to podcasts on the internet? Uh, very briefly. Um, but that being said, uh, on though, the internet, they're all on the internet. Yeah. Basically, what I meant uh, is on a web browser. I was going to say one of our first episodes was called uh, 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 a podcast hipster app hipster, right? Oh yes, I remember that. Which definitely defines you as a person. Your aesthetic is definitely uh, a cut above. That's, I think, like episode number three. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, it's kind of interesting to see Apple kind of shifting and um, meeting market demands like that, I guess, because some people do want to listen uh, to podcasts via a web interface, perhaps, you know, at work or whatever, where they're not allowed to install apps on a computer and they don't have, you know, a phone on them necessarily. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I actually do see people listening to podcasts at work and I walk by them, point at them and shake my head. Well, you know what? You're very elitist about this. I am. I'm horrible. You are. And like, I, I love you, but it's also difficult sometimes to deal with you. I like to, to think that my difficulties uh, elevate you somehow. 
I I have nothing to say to that, so I'm going to move on. Uh, something you want to bring up this week is the idea, and this is a practice that I actually have been partaking in for years and years, um, and that is the notion of uh, putting on the subtitles when watching content. I don't really watch things with subtitles, but I noticed my wife just walked by and raised their hand because she heard me say, I don't watch things with subtitles, and she does. She is the smartest one in this relationship. Put well, her it's on. because she watches a lot of... Uh, Ryan said to put you on. <laughs> it's so she could put the volume lower and also because she watched a lot of British stuff. For sure. And this is actually one of the, the reasons that I saw posted online is that people don't want to put it too loud or they're watching things in a different English or things in other languages. Now, I don't have subtitles running all the time. The thing that made me bring this up and actually end up finding these articles was because I've been watching uh, The Man in the High Castle and there's a lot of Japanese and German in that. And every once in a while, it wasn't showing up. And I was wondering why, because you know how sometimes they'll have it and you're not supposed to understand? Yes. And then you'll see the subtitle, if your subtitle's on, we'll just say speaking Japanese or whatever. Right, yes. But in this case, I just, I couldn't understand. And it was like a long conversation and nothing else was happening except two people talking. So I thought, hmm, something's wrong. I checked, my subtitles were on auto, which means that's when they're supposed to come on and not come on for English. So I turned them on and then they were working. So I had all the subtitles, including uh, showing little notes saying music is playing or whatever. So I watched it that way. Uh, But I normally don't have trouble understanding. And I guess sometimes I do put them on if things are loud around me or if I don't want to be too loud. But I'm more of a not subtitle type person. However, in video games, I like having them on all the time. Why? I think it's because I grew up in a time where video games didn't have voice and then slowly had voice tracks added to them and i've been used to reading text in video games so now that they're actually talking the characters i don't mind seeing text on the screen anyway i'm one of those people who does use subtitles uh, when watching television and movies for a multitude of reasons uh firstly sometimes yeah uh in order to be quiet you kind of lose uh what you hear especially if there's like a forced 5.1 audio track only like you can't even do a stereo right so um, those subtitles are important. Uh, if I'm in a group with people, or even if I'm just like with my fiance, we like to talk sometimes, you know, so that way we're not missing anything while discussing things. Uh, I, it also, as uh, the Kotke article and the Medium article were pointing out, that uh, they help me like pay attention sometimes. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Double density. So everybody makes fun of the Apple TV remote, and it's not the best remote. However, one of the features I like the most on it is if somebody says something you don't understand, you just press the little Siri button and say, what did she say? Or what did he say? And it uh, goes back a couple of seconds and turns on the subtitles just for that. So it actually is quite helpful for you. Yeah, I love that. See, what I'm saying is like, I, there's a multitude of reasons why I use these. And I, I assume that I'm not alone. I, I talk to a lot of people my age, older, younger. And it doesn't seem to be a Gen Z thing. It seems to be just a general thing. Like people in their 30s, people in their mid-20s. You know, I polled people at work today just to see. And kind of across the the, the level playing fields, uh, everyone is kind of uh, admitting to turning on closed captioning uh, for subtitles uh, when watching things for a multitude of reasons. The Moving from television and uh, movies to our favorite domain, more or less, uh, video games. Uh, it was announced this week that uh, the Windows version of Solitaire was inducted into the World of Video Game Hall of Fame. How do you feel about that, Angelo? I was never really big on solitaire on Windows. I always would get annoyed because I thought it was broken because I couldn't finish a game. Oh, so you were just you're just bad at it. I wasn't great at it, that's for sure. Were you a one card or three card person? I don't even know what that means. Yeah, well, when you draw at the top left, right, when you click on the little uh, back of the card, it either draws one or three, right? 
Oh, I don't remember. Oh, okay. I want to say three. That rings a bell. Okay. Well, that's probably why. Uh, as a win 3.1 baby, uh, I played a lot of Solitaire. Loved it. Glad to see uh, it joined the pantheon of games. I have a short list here of games it has joined. Are you ready? Yes, please. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> I can't tell if that was sarcastic or not. I, it has joined the ranks of classics like the Game Boy Port of Treacherous, Mary Brothers for the Nintendo, Donkey Kong, Final Fantasy VII, Mortal Kombat, The Oregon Trail, Pong, Pokemon Red and Green, OG Japanese, Sonic the Hedgehog, Space Invaders, The Sims, World of Warcraft, Doom, and more. Ah, uh, so it's the worst of the bunch. Uh, I don't know about that. What, what's worst? Okay, of all those amazing games you named, which one is worse than Solitaire? Pong. Pong is a classic. It was okay, the first. Okay. All right. The first doesn't mean the best, right? So, for example, like, it, by those your graphics, logic. Brian. Did you by see your how logic, square those lines were? Dark Side of the Moon is the best album of all time. I don't know what to say to that. I guess it's I, fine. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that like, you know, a, a number of copies sold or like relevance in the pantheon of history doesn't necessarily uh, uh, place it amongst the best. Okay, you got me there. I just think of all the games you named. Uh, Solitaire is not on the top of my list. It's it, Of all those games, it's probably at the bottom for me. That's fair. So you'd put Oregon Trail on top of this for playability. Of course. You can dive dysentery in that. It's amazing. This is what we're going to do. So over the next week, I want you to find a, because uh, this exists most likely, I want you to find an emulated version of the Windows version of Solitaire and play it for a little bit and see how you feel about it. I'll just play it at work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, please do. We have a story this week from BuzzFeed News all about Amazon Marketplace, right? So people who have their orders fulfilled by Amazon but aren't uh, Amazon directly and uh, how they get into top rankings for uh, different items and the sort of like the illegal, well, not necessarily legal, but like e, like uh, non-sanctioned uh, things that you can do in the middlemen that try and help you. So this is like a mysterious kind of industry that I understand I never want to engage in. I'm always weary of ordering anything from Amazon that's like fulfilled by Amazon but not from them. And this made that worry that much worse. I think it depends on the type of item. Like I've bought books from um, uh, third-party sellers on there. Then I've never had a problem with that. Um, usually I'll check ratings and things like that beforehand, right? So if they have like 6,000 reviews and they're like in the 4.7 to 5.0 range, I feel pretty confident in buying from them. But now we know that there could be black hats helping them get these ratings up there. That's that's the thing that's frightening. Like, So for example, I'm not counting things like Anchor in there. Like if you buy Anchor no. cables, it, it's, you know, it's, it says Anchor uh, fulfilled by Amazon. You're getting a quality product there. So don't right. worry about certain things like that. Uh, my headphones. Curling irons. Curling irons, sure. My headphones that I'm, I'm wearing right now, I bought fulfilled by Amazon. It was a different seller and they came to me fine. Although I did double check to make sure they weren't counterfeit headphones because apparently that's a thing. That's a huge thing yeah, on Amazon. So no, they were real. The, they were the right price, but I, w- I was worried for a while. So the the only weird thing that's ever happened to me is, um, <laughs> so I've bought, uh, as we've discussed, you know, endlessly, I enjoy movies, right? And uh, sometimes I'll buy uh, movie sets for like exploitation films or horror films that are manufactured, uh, non-legally perhaps, but it's not Amazon's fault. Like the listing is correct. It's just at its core and at its source, um, the distributor probably didn't hold the copyright for it. So kind of shoddy. And and to clarify, you don't mean entire movie sets where you can act out the movie. You mean a no, set yes, of films yeah, yes. in a box. Yes, like a a knockoff version of the Faces of Death compilations I bought a while back, not by Gorgon Video, but by someone else. Uh, yeah, I was uh, surprised, saddened, shocked, but I also watched them all, so I guess it's fine. 
what I was wondering as I was reading the article is it seems nothing is really done about these companies that are are kind of fudging the numbers. I feel like it's just whack-a-mole though, right? So Amazon solves one problem only to open up another one. Um, they change their algorithms on a regular basis, you know, and there's like the advertising money being spent. I just feel like there's a lot going on that Amazon's trying to fix, but they can't fix everything all at once unless they dedicate a lot of time and more importantly, a lot of money towards flushing these out, right? And at the end of the day, if people keep returning to buy things from their site, they don't really necessarily care a lot of the time. Well, a couple of the the, the companies that were uh, mentioned in the uh, BuzzFeed article you sent me were uh, had sites that were up, but then they just disappeared right before the article was published. And they actually discussed this with somebody who works at these companies. And he says what they do isn't technically illegal, which I find hard to believe. But then they were also talking about how they have like Amazon insiders who help them out, right? like paid off employees. Yeah, that how is that not illegal? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's bribery. It's clear bribery. And also, like, I think that quote goes into the next paragraph, which is like someone who attended one of these seminars by one of these like middlemen uh, companies. And uh, a lot of the language and verbiage used was like lay low. Don't try to like make yourself a target, etc. Which kind of suggests that these are less than legal means by which to boost your product rankings, right? The spirit of it isn't legal. Whether it falls within the law is not uh, the question here, it's just, you're kind of cheating people here. Yeah, and I think as we create a uh, monoculture in terms of the way in which we buy and sell things, this is going to become a bigger and uh, bigger problem because we don't have uh, many other resources by which to buy many of these things, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty choosy with how I buy things on Amazon. Like, there's a, a book I recently ordered that seemed to come from, like, a questionable publisher. It ended up being fine, but, like, I looked into who was publishing this book because it's it's a really old, old book. You didn't tell me you're ordering David Icke books. I could have given you a couple. <laughs> it was not a David Icke book. Uh, it, but it, it, it's an old, uh, it's a book that was published in the forties and then reprinted and all that. And it, it's a different publisher that has the rights to it now, but it's totally legit. It was fine. It just seemed weird, but it was coming from Amazon. It wasn't one of those third party sellers. It was direct from Amazon, which usually is fine. Yeah. But sometimes the unknowingly, um, stock in, uh, counterfeit items without realizing it themselves too, right? Yeah. I've heard about that happening as well. So even though you're ordering something directly from Amazon and it comes to you and it's not exactly what you wanted. There's so much garbage on Amazon though, for sure. You know, you want a certain type of iPhone case and you get a really crappy one that just falls apart after a few weeks. There is a lot of caveat emptor on uh, on Amazon right now, I think, right? It's kind of like the Wild West. You're never quite sure what you're about to get. Yeah, I kind of just kind of stick to the things I know will be okay. So you stick to the rivers and streams that you're used to. Yeah, I don't go chasing waterfalls. Good job. I, I think it's important to uh, continue to buy what you need to buy. Uh, despite the fact that I hate the platform itself. See, I thought you were giving me a good job for getting the reference. No, I mean, uh, I'm going to give you a good job off. Like, I'm going to high five you virtually off the air after. Excellent. And with that, my friend, let us move over to the uh, paranormal side of things. Sound good? Yep. Welcome back to Double Density, and as always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So this week, we kind of want to talk about a lot of things, a lot of spacey, weirdo things, um, and I think we need to put a spoiler alert out there beforehand. We're going to be touching upon a lot of what happened in the film Avengers Endgame, so if you've yet to see it, I'm not quite sure if you want to, you know, uh, stick around for this, you want to be surprised, perhaps. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. If you haven't seen it yet, that one's kind of on you, right? 
Yeah, and I will be putting a chapter marker for that. So once we start getting into spoilery territory, you'll be able to skip that chapter. Perfect. Um, so the whole thing that kind of kicked this off is an article by Axios that I found entitled Evidence of Ripples in the Fabric of Space found five times this month. So they're talking about the month of April. It's something that they often measure. And recently, the observatories that do this are now 40% more sensitive. So it, it helps because of the upgrades they've had to be able to find more of these. And they found five this month. So three of the gravitational wave signals are thought to be from two merging black holes, with the fourth believed to have been emitted by colliding neutron stars. And the last one, perhaps most excitingly, seems to be from the merger of a black hole and a neutron star. So basically, these are five instances of astrosex. <laughs> okay, if that's the way you want to look at it. <laughs> it feels like the paranormal side of science. It's so new, so out there, that it's a lot of unknown things happening, but it's all scientific. It just kind of proves how far the universe goes in terms of like keeping us on our toes. So this kind of naturally leads into what we want to talk about this week, which is uh, the ideas of time travel, the multiverse, etc., etc. We're going to kind of use Avengers Endgame as a, a, a narrative framing device, I guess would be the best way of putting it, in order to explore uh, some of the concepts uh, inherently within there. So Angela, I know that you saw the movie on the weekend. Did you like it? I really liked it a lot. You know, for a three-hour movie, it didn't feel like it was three hours. It didn't feel like it was three hours, but I also felt going into the movie that I knew exactly how it was going to end, like how I felt when I saw the first Avatar, right? So uh, no huge surprises. It was pleasant to watch. I'm glad it's over. I'm kind of fatigued by all these, and I'm glad that uh, Spider-Man in July seems to be the last true sort of like period to the end of the uh, MCU uh, sentence. So coming from Endgame, we now know the mantle's been passed on to Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, and uh, Spooderman. Spooderman, yeah. Is there anybody else I'm missing there? Oh, the Guardians well, of the, the Galaxy Fal- as the well. Falcon? Oh, yes. Uh, so, like, at the end of the movie, you see that now Falcon is going to be the new Captain America, and that's from the comic books, right? So it's not... A lot of this stuff, they kind of bring in stuff from the comics. So what we wanted to talk about here, though, is how did they get all this to work? And, of course... They use time travel, but they use time travel in a more interesting way than, you know, you would think, oh, they have the time stone. They're just going to use that. But they didn't You really use that at all, did they? No, and it's super frustrating because that seemed to be like the easiest way of doing things. Um, also, something to note is uh, kind of a gripe of mine as someone who, you know, reads comic books, has read comic books for decades. You can de-age someone using the time stone, right? So I don't understand why they didn't just do that with Thanos at the end of Infinity War when Thanos has Doctor Strange like kind of pinned. Like he could have just de-aged him. But I guess that doesn't work in the MCU. I guess not. It's kind of annoying. But uh, the story then devolves into like all of these uh, going back in time things, which is like my fiance's biggest gripe. And so when they started suggesting that you have to go back in time to collect these stones, she uh, there was like a hard shrug there. Yeah. There, and and in, at the end, we have other questions in terms of how the time travel worked. So in thinking about it, there's usually like three ways time travel is done in movies, sort of. Now, the uh, Den of Geek article I'm going to post in the show notes kind of talks about this, but it made me think about it in a different way. So we have the back to the future way, right? Right. The the kind of the simplest one, right? Like if you yeah. go back and kill yourself, like your your uncle or not your uncle, but your dad, like you're not going to exist. Yeah. But the problem with that is it creates the paradox of like, well, then you couldn't have gone back and killed him because then you never would have existed. So then he's not going to die. Right. So that's, that's where that falls apart completely. So, but, but what Back to the Future does, it also kind of touches on splitting universes, but it's it's done in a much more simplistic way. I agree. 
the second one I was thinking of is like nothing ever changes. So like Final Destination style. Yeah, it, you can't. Pre- well, no, Final Destination though is that like it'll always catch up to you. But in this, well, yeah, exactly. It's always like one timeline that exists all at the same time. Like, right, none, what, like I, what what I'm saying is that like it's it's there's a predetermination there. Everything's determined. So if you went back to change something, well, you had already gone back to change it. You never actually changed anything because you would have gone there to do it. Does that make sense? Like, I think, yeah, I think that makes sense, yeah. It makes me think of Terminator. John Connor sends his own father back in time, but how did he know that was going to be his father to send them back in time? That, so for him to have been born, he had to have done this all the time. Right. So all time basically exists at once in this type of scenario. And then we have the more complicated thing they did here in Endgame where there's a multiverse. Right. So, ah, oh God, okay. So I've spent like a week kind of looking at scientific articles in a boatload of charts and I can grasp the high level stuff, but then when it starts getting into things like the Born equation and things like that, I get completely lost uh, and I will be the first to admit that. Um, so Did you the build idea- a chart on the wall with no. lines Okay, and so firstly, let us talk about how great the movie Primer is, right? Like um, there are a ton of graphics out there that kind of uh, do a flow chart of explaining how pr- the movie Primer works. So my problem with that movie is I've only seen it once. I enjoyed it as I watched it, but I finished watching it. I had no idea what I'd seen. It's a tiring movie to watch, I think. And yes, I couldn't watch it again. Uh, and then when I decided, oh, I'm going to watch it, and it's, it wasn't on Netflix anymore. It was one of the early movies on Netflix when yeah, I first got yeah, it. Yeah, it was the best. So it, And then I, I watched his second movie, uh, Upstream Color. Is yes. that what I'm? Yeah. Which was also equally weird, but in yes. a different weird way. Um, but Primer is super interesting if anyone hasn't seen it. It's definitely the most um, sound and logical way, if not the most confusing way of approaching time travel through the lens of the the multiverse. I'd agree, right? You'd agree with that st- statement, right? It's also in a mundane way of doing things. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just a bunch of guys discover it. It's nothing, you know, it's not some grand government secret or whatever. It's just a bunch of guys who uh, spend uh, their spare time sort of uh, kicking around the idea of, of time travel and things like and that. They right? don't- yeah, and they don't really do anything with it. It's not like they go back and steal uh, Infinity Gems or Infinity no, no. Stones. <laughs> I can never get it right. Infinity Gems is comics. Infinity comics, Stones yeah. is movie. Correct. So uh, something to note, though, is that so the multiverse, the idea behind that is that every uh, decision kind of forks off into its own universe, right? That was what they explained at the beginning in that they were worried that they were going to break something or things would change. And that was one of Tony Stark's ultimate reasons for actually agreeing to do this is that he did not want to change what happened because he now had his daughter and uh, Brody had the idea of going back and killing baby Thanos and they couldn't do that either because nothing would change it would just kill Thanos in that universe right so every time they would go back it would just fork and have all kinds of new different universes created my question to you then is how do they all come back to the proper you know uh quote-unquote universe then if if nothing's been changed or if everything's been changed it's because that's the universe they're part of they can't be removed from their own timeline they can interfere with another one in the past but they can't be removed from their own because they're linked and anchored to that time so whenever they press the little button to go back it takes them back to that specific time Right. Um, but that kind of creates a problem for uh, one of the last scenes of the movie, which is old man Captain America. Yes. And they try to explain this in the, was it the Den of Geek article where they try to explain it? Yes. So I had two ways of thinking of that one. One, it was that way where initially that's what I thought is that, okay, he went back to 
that timeline. He was able to go back into that timeline because he was himself. He didn't exist anymore in it. He was still part of it. So he went back to Peggy in that timeline and existed with himself at the same time and kind of just didn't interfere with anything. So he was like Stove Stove Rogers. Yeah, basically. Or uh, Reeves Dodgers. Right. One or the other. <laughs> uh, he, he could have become the U.S. agent, as he briefly did, did in the 80s when the uh, U.S. government threw him out. Great storyline. If you want to go check that out, Angelo, you probably won't, though. And uh, I probably won't know. But there was also the scene in, was it Winter Soldier or Civil War, where Peggy passes away and it kind of is explained that she was married and he would, and it's kind of hinted that that's she was married to him looking back on it now, but this is like retrofitting things like Nostradamus style. So I'm not quite sure if that actually works. Do you dig up the MCU quatrain? No, no. The other thing is that he just held on to the suit, but lived his life and then came back to that moment. Right. Which I'm not, it's hard to tell because like we're given so little information at that point beyond this like very sentimental moment that like that for me is like the most problematic uh, moment of the entire movie is trying to decipher what led him. And I, I know they cut back to like him and Peggy dancing and things like that, but I feel like it doesn't actually answer the question properly. No, I agree. They kind of hand wave it away in that, oh, you know what? People won't notice because they're just going to be so happy that Cap gave the shield to Falcon and he's the new Captain America and uh, also super problematically like um so if uh uh superhero like, like let's so let's divide this right so there's civilian cap which is former superhero cap right like you agree with that yeah and then there's like superhero cap the one who gets unfrozen you know and fights with the avengers um how do they coexist as uh governments get more sophisticated like does he have like forged papers he's captain america i'm sure he did something special he went to right. see nick fury explained all this and although you know what he, he was born nick fury nick fury would have would, he wasn't born? Oh, maybe not. I don't know then. I'm not quite sure how this, this works out, Brian. <laughs> and that's, like we said, that's the problem with that. Yeah. I'm willing to accept the notion of the multiverse, and we'll talk more about the concept of the multiverse in general in a sec. I'm willing to accept a lot of this. It's just, when you start thinking about this and you start deconstructing things, like, I feel like there's like an element missing somewhere that like would have unlocked everything for me for it to logically make sense. Overall, though, did it make sense to you? Yes. Uh, if you establish rules and stick to them, that's fine. Um, so like I kind of picture the multiverse very abstractly, right? So picture like maybe like a cylinder or something that grows through time, right? And people going back and forth are kind of like, you know, like little ants with like chisels or whatever. So they're kind of breaking through, um, kind of taking away from the shape of this, this cone or whatever, the sphere, but like they never break it entirely. I like that you use the, the, the analogy of the ant because Ant-Man is the one who kind of got this all started. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. Like they they change reality like in different ways, but they never fundamentally alter it to such a way that they break the shape. You know what really bugged me? Trying to figure out how is Spider-Man Far From Home going to work? Does it mean that he was lucky enough to just disappear with all his friends and then they all reappeared because then everybody else got older? So there's a couple of things there too. So firstly, uh, this is taking place in theory in 2022, right? Or 2023? Yes, Exactly. It's gone. They've jumped five years into the future. So that's another thing. Like everybody that was in high school, Peter Parker, that didn't disappear, uh, theoretically graduated. The other thing that really stuck with me, when you see this happen at the end of Infinity War, you see planes crashing, buildings exploding. Did those people come back too that died because of it? I assume so. Like, let's say you're on an airplane with somebody 
and the airplane crashed, but you disappeared. Oh, right. And now you reappeared, but the, your family member that was on the airplane that crashed. Collateral damage. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, did, was, was Hulk smart enough to think of that and just say, you know what? I'm going to snap my fingers and everybody who died that day because of this event is back. Welcome to the idea of the multiverse, right? So an infinitely uh, branching number of realities that exist uh, basically due to every single decision that every inhabitant in the universe makes, right? I think that's a pretty good definition of what's going on. Yes. So right now, in one reality, like I'm not wearing my PJs. I just decided to keep my day clothes on. Is this an ASMR video? (laughs) No, it's not an ASMR video. It's just like, it's just an example, right? Like, or in another universe, I'm not using uh, this microphone. I'm using a different microphone. Or there's I like all how these are the like, most like mundane decisions. Yeah, it's the stuff I'm like, but it's it's part of it, right? It could be very mundane things that are different, or it could be radically different in that like you're doing this podcast with somebody totally different. Yes, there's that too. Um, so two questions come to mind firstly. So firstly, like, what does the universe's hard drive look like? And does it have finite space? With every split, the hard drive has to be cloned, right? So you have to continue onwards and upwards. Well, they defrag it often. <laughs> That's a good answer. But yeah, if, uh, you know, if there is like a finite bandwidth for this universe, like when does the multiverse stop? That's what Thanos was doing. He was just purging. Right. <laughs> just <laughs> emptying the recycling bin. <laughs> yeah, he's just, you know what, I got to get rid of 50% of this stuff. I need, he, you know, he tried to take a selfie and it just, it wasn't. Right. It wasn't he's working. installing all that Doom DLC. Yeah. Unhappy with it. But I feel like it's an interesting kind of question, right? Because if we treat, you know, uh, space and time as, you know, I, I know that it's infinitely, like infinitely expanding, et cetera, et cetera. But is there a limit to it? Is there an end to it? You know, as we say, flat is a time circle. <laughs> uh, good callback to last week. Also, what does the end of time look like? And I feel like we talked about this when we talked about the Philadelphia experiment, but like, you know, my dig dug time travel theory. Yes, we, we spent some time on that. That was a really popular episode too. It was. And I think it makes the most amount of sense, right? So right now we are living at the end point of the future as we continue to barrel through it. But how do you get to the end of time? The idea of the multiverse is very interesting to me at its core because it is a relatively new kind of uh, uh, phenomenon or like a theory, right? So it's, it, it happened in the 1950s. This guy, Hugh Everett, um, in 1954, a man uh, who was stationed at Princeton University uh, comes up with the idea of the multiverse that every single change made uh, creates a whole new universe with an infinite number of copies, right? So countless universes exist. And uh, so he kind of dedicated his life to that. And unfortunately, he did pass away at the age of 51 in 1982. So he wasn't able to continue his research into his later years. Um, interesting side note, something I want to discuss with you is that his son is Mark Oliver Everett, better known as E, the man behind the uh, indie slash uh, 90s rock band Eels, or The Eels, depending on who you are, right? So the man behind uh, Novocaine for the Soul. Yeah, and I laughed uh, when you mentioned this to me because uh, you sent me a text earlier today saying, you know we're going to have to talk about The Eels tonight. And I said, the band? And you said, yes, sir. The main guy is Hugh Everett's dad. <laughs> which is not the case. No, which would make for an interesting uh, multiverse because that would mean he's a time traveler. So uh, Mark referenced his father in, and he also wrote a book of the same name in a 2005 song, Things the Grandchildren Should Know. It's the album closer of the double disc, Blinking Lights and Other Revelations album. You should, you should go check that out, Angela. I think you'd enjoy it. Double density. So uh, there's so many things we could talk about, like how multiverses uh, theoretically could collapse on each other. Or this could be multi-simulations. They're exactly like they could be there could be one baseline universe and the rest as that's what I'm saying like my hard drive analogy is just people running simulations right oh, I hope it's not that that's it's like uh, it's like what was the like the Nintendo games where you could just run the season when, like football games 
Yeah, or I mean, you can still do that. Right. Uh, can I read a paragraph uh, about multiverses to you? You may. The problem with multiverses is the observability of our universe. While most of us simply take it for granted that we should be able to observe our universe, it is a different story for cosmologists. When they apply quantum mechanics, which obviously is the underlying theory, uh, one of the theories that branches off into the multiverse, which successfully describes the behavior of very small objects like atoms to the entire cosmos, the equations imply that it must exist in many different states simultaneously. A phenomenon called superposition. Do you know what superposition is? Uh, Yes. So it's the idea that uh, the, uh, something can exist in both states, both moving and in moving, right? Yeah, I just said yes because I wanted to sound smart. I, I I've heard of it. I couldn't explain it though. Oh, okay, so basically, it's the idea of uh, you know atoms or uh, molecules existing in two different states all at once, so moving and unmoving, um, and kind of creates this idea, like uh, kind of like Schrodinger's cat, like both alive and dead at the same time. Yes, yes, exactly. So that's I guess that's the 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 best way to paraphrase it. The idea of like all of these multiverses being able to collapse on each other due to the fact that they exist in two different states. Like there's so much to go on that I I kinda I kinda bring things back towards something more simple if that's okay with you. Yeah, and, and just before you do that, I just want to say like the universes we're part of are way more boring than the ones we see in any Avengers movie because, well, we don't have superheroes. They don't exist. Do you think that you exist in a multiverse strand where there are superheroes? That would be a fun thought. But I don't think they're based in reality. So no, I don't think that would exist anywhere in any multiverse because it's it's too strange, right? But who knows? Not the really. Whole, whole, uh, it's true. The concept of it is strange anyway. So yeah, we don't know what's happening in this universe. There, so maybe there's a flip-flop universe where there are superheroes who read stories about men with podcasts. And they laugh because they're so puny and can't do anything. Kind of to get into this very quickly, right? But the MCU uh, versus like the Fox properties. So the idea is that the Fox properties, all of those are mutants, right? Because the MCU can't use the word mutants because of the kind of boundary set between the two companies. But now they're going to be able to. Right. So, but mutants at their core are genetic mutations, right? So the idea of being able to genetically mutate is implausible, but not impossible, thereby probably existing in another strain of the multiverse. Yeah, you know, that epic fight at the end of Endgame would have been more interesting if they could have brought in the X-Men. So I was so excited, and I've seen a bunch of Twitter threads about how people have imagined, like, um, uh, the post credit sequence was the Fantastic Four walking through New York after this gigantic battle, being like, we're home, this is so weird, what happened? And I kind of love that. But it wasn't. No, 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 no. There was no uh, post credit sequence. There wasn't. There was the sound of Iron Man's armor from the first um, uh, Iron Man movie. We actually were told to leave the theater because... They said, if you think there's something at the end, there's nothing, so you can leave. It'd be fun. They should have put a sign up or something. Well, they, so I knew something was up when the credits rolled and the house lights came up and bright too. Right. So I figured, oh, well, I guess there might be nothing. So uh, I want to end things with uh, something a little fun. John Titor? No, not even Angela. I know, but he's, he's so much, he didn't, he couldn't have predicted any of this. No. Because he's he's true to his multiverse strand. Yeah, and his multiverse strand, their their computer's broken. <laughs> exactly. Um, I kind of want to pick your brain about the best and worst time travel movies if you have any. Oh yeah, for sure. Please. Um. So we mentioned Primer before, right? Yeah, that's that's the most cerebral of them all. Uh, butterfly effect. I'm not a big fan of that one. I don't know. I I just. The internal um, logic works, though, it, if you pay attention to that. Like, not a great film, but, like, if you pay attention to, like, how it's um, sort of, like, a brought to bear, then it makes sense. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, uh, what's his face? Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, I was going to say Jared Kushner, but no, that's a different <laughs> guy. Not a fan of that guy either. Have you seen 12 Monkeys? Yes, that's great. 
Have you seen the original movie it's based on? Eleven Monkeys? No, uh, Chris Marker's La Jeté from uh, 1962, I want to say. That sounds like it might be in black and white, so no. Uh, it is firstly in black and white, and secondly, it is composed of still images. It is an experimental film that lasts about a half hour. That sounds so boring, Brian. Dude, it's I actually would... really cool, honestly. Uh, it sounds like, that sounds like film nerd stuff, no. Uh, you, are there robots you... in it fighting? No. Oh. Speaking of that, though, are you excited for the new Godzilla movie? Yeah, that seems kind of interesting. I saw a brief uh, snippet of it when I was watching uh, the. You know how at the movie theater they have like questions and answers and stuff before yeah. the movie starts. Yeah, there yeah, was yeah. a brief one about Godzilla, but there was no preview for Godzilla, unfortunately. There's one available on the internet, so if you want to go check that out, I'm excited to see if they bring in because you're talking about giant, you know, robots fighting. So Mecha Godzilla, I hope Mecha Godzilla shows up. Yeah, well, I'm excited about those movies because they're tying in uh, the last Kong movie they did. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Right, so it's it's Godzilla, uh, King of the Monsters, or whatever, and then next year it's Kong versus Godzilla. I thought they were going to team up. No, there's no teaming up here. Too bad. Uh, with that being said, though, I think this is a natural progression and this strand of the multiverse for episode 107. How's that sound to you? I guess we only really named a couple of time travel movies. I mean, well, my favorite one has to be Back to the Future. Even though okay, well, I mean, we already talked about it beforehand, broken. right? So I, I figured yeah. like we'd be the best. Um, Terminator we talked about before too, right? So that was on my list. Yeah, yeah. So I feel but, like we've, we've nailed a lot of the standards here, unless there's something that you'd like to bring up. No, look, see, I just forked this, uh, this universe. You were about to end it, and then I forked it, so that I just proved their point. What about Donnie so, Darko? Eh, it's all right. People love that movie for some reason. Uh, yeah, the, the, the internal logic makes sense, I think. Yeah, it's fine. It's just weird. But uh, let's fork back to ending the episode, as I, I messed that up. But uh, We could talk about The Great Time Cop. That actually is a good movie. That's a fun movie. Come on, Jean-Claude Van Damme. You can't go wrong. Uh, everyone, tune in next week as we hop aboard the Dragula for further adventures. Angelo, people can find us online on Twitter at double underscore density, Instagram at double density podcast, where we're making more of an effort to post content. You can also head over to double density.net. Click on the contact button. Let us know how you're feeling. Does the idea of time travel in the multiverse break your head? John Titor, are you out there? You know, uh, who else do you want to discuss out here? There's a ton of people we could discuss. What are your favorite time travel movies? What are the worst time travel movies? Are you frustrated by retcons in comic books? Uh, I feel like we've covered enough uh, of these sort of topics at hand here. You can also click on the hosts link to find out more about us. Angela, I will see you next week, my friend. Yeah, in the alternate universe where I'm the one who gives out all our socials. Maybe that's what we should do. We should do an episode where we just challenge the multiverse to come at us, bro. So I start the episode and then you come in with some sort of mundane complaint about your life. Yeah. And then I set you up. You set me up for topics that we discuss, right? Oh, that sounds too hard. No, let's not do that. (laughs) I like this universe. Uh, You're a creature of comfort, my friend. Yeah. See you next time, Brian. All right. See ya.